Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is sponsored by ManyTrix, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit ManyTrix or oneword.com slash pragmatic for more information about their apps Butler, Chemo, Leech, Desktop, Curtain, TimeSync, Usher, Moom, Name Mangler, and Witch. If you visit that URL, you can use the code pragmatic 25, that's pragmatic the word and 25 the numbers in the shopping cart to save 25% on any Manitrix product. This episode is also sponsored by LifeX. Visit LifeX, spelled L-I-F-X dot co slash pragmatic for more information about their amazing LED smart bulbs and to take advantage of a special discount exclusively for pragmatic listeners. We'll talk about them more during the show. I'm your host, John Chigi, and I'm joined today, as always, by Vic Hudson. How you doing, Vic? I'm good, John. How are you? I am exemplary. That's cool. So, yeah, I just I want to pick a different adjective. Uh, <laughs> I have I have a Kindle on the left and and paper books on the right. And it will make sense in just a moment to the listeners why that matters. So hold that thought. A bit of preamble. I had some feedback uh, during the week that my preambles are getting long. So here's the short, short, short version. Once again, we're live streaming the show. Go to techdistortion.com slash live. You can access the stream and the chat room there. It's now possible to see a list of topics that I'm going to cover on the show in coming weeks and months at techdistortion.com slash topics. If you're not a member, you will be able to see the list. But if you sign up, you'll be able to vote on the existing list and also suggest whatever topic you'd like covered on the show. Beyond that, I'll be locking in episodes a week ahead of time, maybe two, and people can see the topic and co-host or guest host details planned for the next coming few episodes. It's an opportunity for listeners to guide where the show goes in terms of topics, and whilst I do get plenty of emails of suggestions and requests, there hasn't been an easy way up until now to gauge if it's just one or two people interested in a topic, or if they're part of a vocal minority and lots of people want to cover a specific topic. So now you can tell me what you want quickly and easily, and everyone else that's interested can let me know if they like those topics as well. So those new features are live on the site right now. Don't wait. Go and check them out. There you go. How was that? Good. Less than 60 seconds. Not that I was timing it. Okay. So, we're going to talk about a listener-voted topic. This was the most popular topic as voted by the listeners. And, of course, you kind of gave away maybe, well, partly what it was. So, so what is, what's the topic tonight then, Vic? E-readers versus paper. Exactly. And specifically, when I say paper... I want to be fair about this. And the problem is that there are so many different kinds of paper. So, how am I going to... We, we have to narrow this down. We can't just talk about like newspaper. We, like newspaper, um, you know, hardcover books, paper, paperback books, um, you know, textbooks, scrolls, you know, parchment. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 got to narrow this down. So I'm going to stick with the most popular kind of book um, that's made out of paper, and that's a paperback. So specifically, we'll we'll focus on novels, I think, because paperback novels are the most common, and with eBooks, obviously, novels are the most common thing you'll find as an eBook. So textbooks are getting more, you know, popular, of course, uh, but 
Yeah, and and of course, uh, the, uh, people love hardcovers because they're hard wearing, but you know they're also more expensive. So paperbacks versus paperback books versus e-readers fight. Okay, I didn't know it was going to be a cage match. I'm unprepared. <laughs> maybe it's not. Maybe a cage match is a bit strong. Okay, so of course this is pragmatic. So I've got to cover some history. I mean, I don't got it, but I'm gonna. Okay. So, um, when there were scrolls, then there were books, then newspapers, then paperbacks, then computer screens, now tablets and e-readers. They all convey exactly the same content. But the differences are the visual, the tactile, olfactory experience, and the subtly different for each of those different things. So, as I said, we're going to focus on paperbacks versus e-readers. But so far as paperback books go, it was actually in the mid-1800s in the UK when steam-powered presses and pulp mills made book manufacturing a lot more economical and wider distribution drove the costs down. So the removal of the hardcover obviously also reduced the cost of manufacture at the sacrifice of some durability. But most people wanted the cheaper book. So, a German publisher called Albatross uh, Books is usually given the credit for creating the so-called mass market paperback. That was in the early 1930s, but it was actually Penguin Books in the UK. That was in 1935, and they took essentially most of the ideas from uh, Albatross Books, and uh, then, of course, well, it sort of dovetailed with World War II. Uh, and they ended up, so as in Germany, sort of got sidetracked. Anyway, and they ended up kickstarting the paperback revolution. So Penguin Books is sort of the would the main driving force behind that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, on the e-reader side of things, a lot of people think it was Amazon that had the first e-reader, but it wasn't. Do you know who it was? I do not. Okay, I was actually quite surprised because I didn't realize it was Sony. Um, I I knew it wasn't Amazon, but it was actually Sony. And the Sony Libri, L-I-B-R-I-E, that was the first commercial e-ink screen reader. Now, that wasn't the first e-reader and certainly wasn't the first e-ink e-reader. However, it was the first commercial one that was widely distributed and successful. So, the sad part is... How long before the Kindle was that? Uh, the Kindle was only a, a little bit, uh, a few years after that, but it was not. Then. Yeah, but the the thing that's interesting is that the Kindle has just run over everything. Yeah, and now uh, the sad thing is that Sony announced in August that they're discontinuing production of their e-readers, so their that's their their time is gone. For, for from Sony anyway, so it's kind of a bit sad when that happens. But you know, Amazon has just dominated. Yeah, the the Nook's doing okay. But not as good. <laughs> the Kindle's just, you know, flattening everything. So, anyway. All right. So, I guess um, it's sort of one of the things that I really wanted to uh, to do, start with beyond that is the, some of the statistics. You know, and I guess it's, um, I don't know what, how to put this, but I know there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. And there are so many statistics out there i am not kidding and you can you can well imagine how much there is out there about um 
oh, you know, ebooks are dead or, you know, ebooks aren't dead and or real books are real books are dead or they're not dead. And every single contingent of people with a vested interest have published statistics proving and disproving what's going on in the market. So we have to start just quickly with Amazon and there's a bunch of caveats I'll get to in a minute. But let's just for the moment look at the the figures from 2010. So, in 2010, they reported that for paid books, so first of all, that does not include free eBooks. So one third of all paperback book sales. Um, sorry, hang on, let me rephrase that. One third of all paper book sales. So that's hardcover plus paperbacks. Uh huh. Um. So one third of all of their book sales were um were paper books. Now, 15% uh, of all of their sales were hardcover books, 40% were paperbacks, 45% were ebooks. Now, since then, paperback paper-based books have slipped even lower than that. Now, those statistics sound pretty damning, right? They sound like ebooks are well and truly the winner. They're out ahead, right? But the uh-huh. thing you, you have to keep in mind is that Amazon, they're an online retailer that you access via an internet-capable device and that raises a bar for a lot of people. You know, it. I don't care how silly that sounds, but, you know, there are still a lot of people uh, yep. that are not on the internet. I'm sorry, but it, there is... And even, and even being on the, quote-unquote, on the net is not actually a guarantee that they're going to go and buy anything from Amazon. Or yep. they even know what Amazon is, or that they even care, you know. So, yeah, we're looking at a subset already, and that and a subset of the the whole population internet access um, is a subset, and of that subset, you've got people that actually care or know about Amazon and care about Amazon. So, of those subsets within that, those figures, that's where they would come from. So, bottom line is, the vast majority of the population don't shop at Amazon. And saying that these numbers are representative of anything is kind of like saying, let's say two-thirds of people that visited the chemist or the drugstore, well, they, they came away with medicine. Funny that. Yeah. It's a very limited sample and it's a biased sample on top of it. Exactly. So, take that with not just one, but many grains of salt. One ain't enough. So, okay. What's far more interesting is... A study in 2013 of adults, which is 18 years and older, although that's debatable depending on who you speak to. And honestly, some states in the US as well, like Nevada, I think they don't consider you an adult until you're 21. Certainly can't gamble anyway. That's a long story. Um, anyway, anyway, that was in the US. And they found in that study that of all the people that had read at least one book in the previous year, so, this is now taking out all the people that haven't actually read. So, there, there was actually a percentage of the population that didn't, hadn't read a, read a book, one book in the previous year. But of the people that had, a quarter of them had read an ebook. Interestingly, a tenth of them had listened to an audiobook. Interesting. The rest of them, which is the overwhelming majority, had read a paper book. That paints a very different picture. That said, you rewind that five to ten years, you know, and there were no ebooks. So clearly, 
ebook is rising up, but it is certainly not dominant. Yeah. Not by any stretch of the imagination. However, the the thing I said is that, you know, of that percentage, what about the people that hadn't read a book? Interesting statistic, nothing to do with the con- topic of this episode, but you know what? One quarter of the adult US population had not read a book at all in the previous year. Sadly, I'm not surprised by that. Well, I think it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's, mm. and I don't think that's a US thing at all. I think that that's a, you know, I think that's a Western culture thing. I think that a lot of people are spending um, a lot of time doing other things. Yeah. Which is a shame, really. But anyway, all right. You get the internet, Twitter, podcasts, TV, movies. I don't want to dig too much into the statistics. There's a link in the show notes if you want to have a look at it. It is really fascinating to read through and look at the different demographics and you look at the different uh, people. And there, there appears to be some relation between people that spend time online and actually reading more books, which is, you know, interesting. But, um, yeah, it doesn't prove anything. It's just interesting. Um, the last interesting statistic I just wanted to mention, though, is that more women read books than men do. Hmm. Anyway, lovely. So, um, the problem is with all those statistics, and it's all like, okay, I'll quote whatever statistics you'd like, but the truth is that there's a lot of conflicting drivers that push ebooks popularity and sales and adoption and so on. It's just, you know, so I don't want to go any more on, I don't want to go on anymore about statistics. I just want to focus on the technology because, you know, what we take away from this is, Ebooks have come a long way in, a, in 10 years. They've come from, well, essentially not existing to being a reasonably decent sized chunk of book of novel content consumption in, in, a, in a decade. In another decade, I expect that the numbers will be much, much stronger again. But it's going to take a long time before ebooks are actually the dominant uh, proportion, I think, statistically of how that content is consumed. But there's no question it's heading that way. Just don't listen to Amazon when they tell you, yeah, it's just the best. It's so popular. It's, you know, it's kicking butt. <laughs> within within reason. Or was, and hang on, how does Amazon report stuff? Um, yeah, it's, it's doing really well. Hmm, good. Anyway. Numbers are great without any numbers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, next. Next, 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 next. Let's talk a little bit about the technology. And you have to start with the weight. And I want to look at, and and this is, (laughs) this part was a little bit difficult to research. Because I can't say to you, go and buy yourself a paperback novel. Now, tell me, how much does it weigh? Because... You'd think there's no standard, or rather there is, but there's not a, there's not a, there are so many different sized paperback novels, and I don't just mean the X and Y dimensions, height, width, I'm also talking about the thickness, the depth, the number of pages. The length is variable, not just that, the weight of each individual page, exactly. I mean, all of that adds up makes it extremely hard to generalize. But fortunately, there's a link in the show notes to someone who had more spare time than I do 
that actually did this <laughs> research. Thank you very much. So, I uh, plucked a couple that I thought were in the sort of size region that I'm looking at. Size region I'm looking at is something that's comparable to either a Kindle uh, Paperwhite, let's say, or an iPad uh, mini, that sort of physical size. So, slightly smaller to around about that size, maybe slightly larger. So, I picked a couple for examples. So, the first one, dimensions in inches, six and a half by nine and a half by half an inch, 160 pages. And in uh, millimeters, that's 165 by 240 by 13 millimeters. And that weighed 15 ounces or 425 grams. You get the same result with a with a with a dip, with a different dimension book, uh, 9.5 by 6 by 1, uh, that's inches, and uh, in millimeters, 240 by 150 by 25 millimeters, 370 pages, also 15 ounces, 425 grams. Two different average form factors with the same weight in a paperback novel, and that's pretty typical. Now, now let's look at how much uh, a Kindle Paperwhite. Now, I, I, I'm quoting the Kindle Paperwhite. I realize that there are many Kindles, okay? And I'm not going to list them all. This is not the... I'm not, I don't want to take the Kindle and, and, and do a... Like I did for the for the iPhone. I'm not doing that for the Kindle. How um, Like in episode one, uh, I did not. I'm not doing that for the Kindle. But I'm, I'm quoting the Kindle Paperwhite because we own one. Uh, my wife owns one and I've used it and it's a nice bit of kit. I like it. Yeah. However... Um, it's a first-gen model. It's dimensions, um, 169 millimeters uh, by 117 by 9.1. It weighs uh, 215 grams. That's the Wi-Fi plus 3G model. And uh, in, in North American speak, that's 7.6 ounces. So, already, the Kindle Paperwhite is lighter than two, the two paperbacks I mentioned. And significantly, so literally half the weight. Yeah. Next, we look at the Retina iPad Mini, or what are they calling the iPad Mini Three now? The new one. I just, I really hate it when Apple rename rename number things after the fact. God, what are they calling it now? Retconned. That's the expression now. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> so, the dimensions of the new one. Pulled straight from Apple's website. I are seven point eight seven by five point three by zero point two nine inches, which is two hundred by thirteen one hundred thirty four point seven by seven point five millimeters, and it well it weighs twelve ounces, otherwise known as three hundred and forty one grams. So clearly, it is you know bigger and heavier than a Kindle Paperwhite, not by much in terms of the dimensions, but certainly more in the weight. It's over 100 and I think it's 120 grams more than a Paperwhite. That's not surprising considering, first of all, the materials it's manufactured from. And second of all, well, it's physically larger as in it's taller and and slightly wider. So in any case, it's still lighter than those paperbacks. Now, people are going to say, well, you know, I have this great paperback novel about, like, I don't know, a bunch of dinosaurs that they made and ate people and stuff. 
anyway, and it's it's slightly different dimensions. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. But, you know, the generally generally what I've found is that the, the books that I've looked at, the novels that I've, paperback novels that I've looked at, uh, yeah, they're all either equal or heavier, and usually they're heavier than a paper white. So that's that leads us to the next interesting conclusion. No matter how long the book is, no matter how thick it is, no matter how big or small the font is, your e-reader is always going to weigh the same amount. Yep. Always. It's always going to have the same amount of arm fatigue. Now, I got the Steve Jobs biography as a Christmas present a few years back. You know, Walter Isaacson's. Mm-hmm. It's a hard cover, and this thing yeah. is heavy. It is. I, mean, I have a copy on my shelf. Yeah. I got, what, nine chapters in? And you know what? I stopped reading it. I never finished it. And it wasn't because it was necessarily a bad book, although I'm sure John Syracuse would have something to say about that. I but think he had a whole episode about that. He actually had two, but never mind that. <laughs> The Wrong Guy, Hypercritical. Look it up. It's one That's of the, the best one. Hypercritical episodes. I've, I've listened to that multiple times. I just love I love that one. Anyway, anyway, irrespective. Point is that that thing was so damned heavy and the number of times I was reading it when I was dozing off and when that thing hits you in the face, when you're dozing off, it hurts. <laughs> so, I've been I injured. so. I have been injured less by my iPad falling on my damn face than a stupid book. So, here we go. Straight away, you know, I think e-readers are already ahead in terms of arm fatigue. And frankly, it's only going to improve. What are they going to do with books? Books have been around for hundreds of years. What are they going to do? Make the paper lighter, thinner? That'll just make it more flimsy. Ultimately, the materials that we make, um, you know, like the batteries, like lithium ion, is much lighter than nickel metal hydride. Next generation of batteries is going to be lighter again. You know, whatever it may turn out being. And, you know, the glass will get thinner and stronger. You know, there'll be new new kinds of plastic that they use to that are the lighter on Kindles. Yeah, and on iPads they they you know, they're currently using aluminium. Well they could try different alloys. They could go to thinner aluminium. There's there's other other options to reduce the weight. But with a book, you're as far as you're gonna get. Other than reducing the size of the type of the font. And therefore, the number of pages you need. Mm-hmm. And it's only, it's only, you only push that so far before it becomes, you know, bring a magnifying glass if you want to read your book. Yeah. Before we go on any further, I'd like to talk about our first sponsor for this episode, and that's Manytricks. Now, Manytricks, they're a, a great software development company whose apps do, you guessed it, Manytricks. Now, their apps include Butler, Chemo, Leech, Desktop Curtain, TimeSync, Usher, Moom, Name Mangler, and Witch. There's so much to talk about for each app that they make. We're going to touch on some of the highlights for just four of them. Name Mangler. You've got a whole bunch of files you need to rename quickly, efficiently, and in huge numbers. Well, Name Mangler can extract the metadata from the files and use it to rename those files with search and replace as well as creating staged renaming sequences. If you mess it up, you can just revert back to where you started and have another go. Usher. Can access any video stored in iTunes, Aperture, iPhoto, and on any connected hard drives on your Mac, allowing you to easily sort, group, tag, organize them all in one app. 
If you install Perian and Flip for Mac, there's no need to convert anything to an iTunes format to watch it. So if you've got a video collection scattered across different programs and drives, then Usher can help you straighten it all out. Moom. It makes it easy to move any of your windows to whatever positions you want. Halves, corners, edges, fractions of the screen. Then you can save and recall your favorite window arrangements with a special auto arrange feature as well when you connect or disconnect an external display. It's awesome and I use it every day. Which, you should think about which as a supercharger for your command plus tab switcher. And which is great for, it's very popular with X Windows users like myself. Um, if you've got three or four documents open at once in any one app, then Witch's beautifully simple pop-up quickly lets you pick exactly the one that you're looking for. Now that's just four of their great apps. There's still five more to check out as well that we haven't talked about here. Now all these apps have free trials, so you can download them from manytricks.com slash pragmatic and try them out before you buy. They're available to buy from their respective pages on, the, on that site or through the Mac App Store. However, if you visit that URL, you can take advantage of a special discount off of their very helpful apps exclusively for Pragmatic listeners. Simply use Pragmatic25, that's Pragmatic the word, and 25 the numbers in the discount code box in the shopping cart to receive 25% off. This offer is only available to Pragmatic listeners for a, listen for a limited time, so take advantage of it while you can. Once again, thank you so much to ManyTricks for sponsoring Pragmatic once again. So, next, 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 next. Okay. What you got? What you got, what I got, what I got next is cost and convenience is my next broad topic section thingy doodad. Well, that's technical. Okay, borrowing and lending. Now, this gets brought up time and time again. I, I, I You always hear this argument. And the argument goes something like this. If I have a paperback novel and I've finished reading it, I can now give it to my spouse, my brother-in-law, my sister, the kid down the street on the skateboard, whatever. I can give it to anyone I want. There you go. Have a book. Hopefully they read it. Hopefully they don't burn it. Whatever. Now, how many people are going to give away their e-reader? Here, have my e-reader. It's got a book on it. Well, you're not going to do that because it's yeah. your e-reader. And... As evidenced recently with Apple's family sharing, the ownership and transfer of ownership is still a difficult problem. So people don't want you, I'm sorry, people don't want you to. Publishers don't want you to give that hard, that paperback novel to the person down the street. They want that person down the street to go and buy another copy. That's what they want. Yes, that's they not, do. That's not what happens, but that's, you know, that's what they want. With digital distribution, they have the ability to do that. So they're going to enforce it, aren't they? So you can say, hey, you know, power to the people. We're not buying into this. You know, we're going to we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep giving our paperback novels away to our family members and friends and kids on skateboards. We're gonna do that. Why? Because we can. And we're gonna stick it to the man or the woman or the person or the corporation. Whatever. The thing is, if you want to continue doing that, that's fine. But what about what happens when e-readers become a commodity item themselves? So it got me thinking about how low do you go before it's just as easy to say, I have more than one e-reader and I download on my e-reader and there's a part, there's like a lock on it 
that mm-hmm. stops people from accidentally downloading stuff that's not theirs. But they can read whatever's on it, but they can't surf the web or they can't download more books on my account, you know, without an access code. Yeah. Now, you do that and you make this e-reader cheap, then at some point you're going to cross a line and it's going to be, here, just have my e-reader. There's four or five books on there you might like to read. Yeah. And you may say, but then you're without an e-reader. Yeah, but if they're that cheap and they're a commodity item, then you'll have more than one. See, I've seen uh, a lot of popular, like, bestseller novels, you know, hardcover, paperback, between $20 and $30, you know, for bestsellers, you know, mm-hmm. really popular books. And I did a search on the web looking for cheap e-readers. And the thing is that beyond the Kindle, which you can get for $79, that's the one with ads, that's 79 US. Yeah. They, there was a while ago, didn't last, was a, um, a company called uh, Beagle. I think they're now um, Texter, T-X-T-R. They briefly had an e-reader that was um, supposedly selling for 10 euros. Couldn't find much for it. But the whole idea was it was the dirt cheapest e-reader in the world it has ever known. I actually found a few out there and it's not around anymore. Not surprisingly, business model didn't work out, I guess. Um, Don't want to delve too much into the history of that one. But uh, in any case, if I got any of those facts wrong, let me know. But I think that's what's happened. That said, uh, there are several e-readers out there available for, you know, starting around about $60. So, that aren't Kindles. So, they're getting close. Yeah. I mean, they were using e-ink technology from six, seven years ago, probably, or even older. But that's not the point. The point is that now you are in a position where it's not costing... It's for the cost of two hardcover bestsellers, you can get yourself an e-reader. Yeah. They're getting very, very close to just being in an impulse range for the mainstream population. Exactly. Yes. And that makes them more of a commodity item, which then means, well, you know, it's not so bad uh, giving them to people, lending them to people, you know? So, again, that's not what Amazon wants. That's not what the publishers want. They want you to buy another one. They want the other person to buy their own and to download their own copy of the book. But that's not what's going to happen as they drive the costs down. And people say, oh, yeah, but we're ownership of the device. Well, I mean, you can get around that by simply having, you know, like I said, a lock on it and say you can't buy anything. You know. So, anyway, honestly, and because e-readers are not like an iPad, like an, I- an iPad is a tablet. I'm not talking about tablets necessarily. I only threw the iPad in because a lot of, some people do read on iPads. Personally, I've read it on, on, on the Paperwhite and I've read on an iPad and I know which one I'd pick for reading and it's not the iPad. We'll get we'll talk a bit more about that later. But anyway, so, okay, cost. Hmm. The thing that, that's interesting though, once you go beyond that, is you think to yourself, okay, well, then if I'm going to switch from paperback novels to e-books and e-readers, then I'm going to save myself money in the long run because, you know, it's going to work out cheaper you know, to get all of these uh, e-books because, yeah, than it is to buy the paperbacks because they don't have to print anything, right? Yeah. So, you think, you would yeah, think. it's going to cost less for digital distribution than physical distribution. Okay. <laughs> you know where I'm you going would with think. this. You know where I'm <laughs> going with this, don't you? Uh. Okay. So, I have this, this, this uh, problem with Amazon and I'm not the only one. Amazon's business models defy analysis and explanation. Yeah. Um, 
to a point. Now, a guy called Scott Marlow in 2011 did a great blog post, and it's linked in the show notes if you want to read it, about some of the ins and outs and intricacies of Amazon's pricing structures for paperbacks, hardcovers versus ebooks. Rationale, insanity, mostly insanity. So here's the thing. I had a look in there as doing the prep for this episode just to brush up on a couple of details and they have the most insane pricing structures I've ever seen. It is so counterintuitive, it's not funny. And what they do is there's, I guess what you'd call, what I call a price distortion. I just realized it sounds a bit like the website name. Um, it's a bit of a, it just, if you're a Prime member, you get books for like, you you you, you get books for a massive discount, uh-huh. but not eBooks. You know, like not, not really. So they'll have a, they had a paperback book that would sell to a non-Prime member for about $16 US. But if you're a Prime member, you got it for $7.50. That's shipped to you, right? I the e- so, yeah. Yeah. And the ebook started at $11. Yeah. I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense to me. Oh, hang on. I get it. They are encouraging you to become a Prime member. So what they're doing is they're hiding that cost and they're dragging you in. So by being a subscriber to the to be a Prime member, then they're getting a regular income from you rather than a sporadic income from the occasional book you might buy. Plus, of course, you've got the halo effect. Once you become a member that you are more inclined to use their other services that also cost money, but are quote unquote cheaper for Prime members. You know, it's not a new strategy. I understand that. But what it does mean is it's very difficult to do a genuine price comparison between paperbacks and ebooks to come up with some kind of conclusion. Yeah. There there's some other variables in there too though. Um sure. there 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 was once a, a time when the absolute max price for a Kindle book would be 9.99. And and many of them were often found for cheaper than that. There's a publisher variable in there that's changed some of that. Absolutely. I don't want to get too much more buried in that because, frankly, other people who have have covered this previously, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's not a topic that greatly interests me at this point. So, I'm going to leave Amazon there, except to conclude Amazon is a very bad example of ebook economics because they just seem to be insane or rather they do things in a way that is difficult to for, for me to quickly add, d- dissect just for the purposes of this comparison yeah so leaving it there instead let's talk about barnes and noble that actually follow the laws of physics or more closely are aligned with the laws of physics business we find after we do a random sample paperbacks versus ebooks that Ebooks work out on average about 37% cheaper. Yay. That's more what I'd expect. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. There were cases where the paperback was cheaper, just like at Amazon, but the next point is the economics of printing 100,000 paperbacks and selling only half of them, and then you've got to flog off what's left just to clear your shelves or your inventory. Well, that's a different problem that doesn't exist with ebooks. So, you know, 
obviously if there are e- there are paperback novels that are cheaper than their ebook you know counterparts it's probably because they they produce too many of them and they're trying to get rid of them so you know that's the most obvious explanation but anyway okay so cost convenience continuing you can download an ebook without leaving wherever you are now obviously yeah. that depends on your e-reader some e-readers have 3g some don't uh, some with 3G as part of the when you buy it, uh, you know, as in like you don't have to pay for it. Other ones, yeah. If you're within Wi-Fi range, you know, so that's a limitation, sure. But the truth is, there's a lot more Wi-Fi hotspots than there are bookstores. So you have access to books in a massive number of situations. And if you've got a smartphone or a, a, a Wi-Fi hotspot, that's even you know, it's it's wherever you are even if you've got a Wi-Fi e-reader. So that drives spontaneity. And spontaneity is one of those things uh, that kind of it's hard to evaluate. You know, I can't say to you, oh, uh, spontaneity is worth $5 a year. <laughs> you can't quantify it. Mm-hmm. It's desirable for a subset of people. Uh, I think spontaneity can be good, but I'm a planner. You couldn't half tell, right? Um, I kind of, I, I'm not spontaneous. I, I can be spontaneous, but I like to plan things. And frankly, uh, I would plan ahead. If I'm taking a trip and I'm going to do some reading, I would load up my e-reader uh, with books before I left. No different though if I were to go and buy a bunch of novels and chuck them in my suitcase to take with me on a trip, you know, yeah. historically, historically, you know. But the spontaneity means that if you, fi- you don't have to worry about that, you can be impulsive. You don't have to do the forward planning. You know, and if you finish the book you, you're reading, you can just go and download another one. Away you go. Don't have to get up. Now, that sort of convenience, you cannot beat. So, there's a little aside, though. Do you remember back in the days before when people had no, when no one had mobile phones? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I have um, younger people. God, man, that makes me sound old. Uh I have people occasionally, younger people, when we're talking about this stuff. Um, how did you survive without mobile phones? How did you know where anyone was? And it's it's called planning, you know. Yeah. I'll I'll call you at this time, or I'll be at this location at this time. It's actually not that hard. Yeah. So anyway, but then again, having said that, people love mobile phones because it means you can get in touch with anyone anytime. And that has you know, good and bad. Same thing with ebooks. You know, maybe you shouldn't be downloading another book to read. You should be spending time with your family. No different to playing video games. It's it's still a distraction. So anyway, all right. Okay, this one is uh, a few more little ones that are sort of a convenience. It's sort of borderline convenience, right? So the mm-hmm. borderline convenience one is. It's more of a durability. It's a bit about durability. So if you drop a book, it's going to be fine. If you drop an e-reader, you're going to be probably in trouble. So you know, from a durability point of view, books are always going to be in a better position. You spill water on a book, well, it's probably going to be in trouble, or they could probably dry it out. You spill water on an e-reader, I hope you like the page you're reading because it's probably going to be stuck there forever. Another one that I thought of was losing your place in a book. How often does it happen to you? When you're reading a book and 
you either dog dog tear no dog ear. You know what I mean? Flip over the corner of the page to mark yep. where you are. Oh my goodness! And yeah, you know how some people say, "Oh, that's sacrilege! You can't do that to the book. You're creasing the page." You yeah, know? I'm pretty that's... OCD about that. Oh, so okay. So are you a, are you a are you a dog ear folder or are you against it? I, I'm I'm kind of against it. Oh dear. You know, <laughs> when you say you're kinda against something, that's like your really aggressive stance. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And I, I don't like I don't like most commercial bookmarks either. My my preferred bookmark is usually a a store receipt because it's like some of the thinnest piece of paper you can possibly get. Because <laughs> I guess the issue is the thicker cardboard ones, or worse still, the thick plastic ones. Uh, or knitted, you... or crocheted, or macrame, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, you squeeze the them book. into a book near the spine, then you close the cover, and then that's going to yeah. create pressure and ruin the uh, the adhesive, the glue that's bind that's binding yeah. the pages together. That that's the issue, is it? Uh, yeah. Okay, fine. Well, and it guess- just it deforms the page. It's not perfectly flat anymore. And <laughs> so when you flip the book open, it naturally is attracted to the pages that had the big thick bookmark in it for a long period of time. Yeah, it tends to be, yeah. Excellent. Well, here's the thing. Uh, my, my my biggest complaint about uh, about books is the fact that I lose my place because I'll put a bookmark in there of whatever description uh, and kids come along and flip through the book or yeah. it gets knocked off the table or the bedside table or the wherever the hell the book is and the bookmark falls out and now I've forgotten where I'm up to. Yeah. Sorry. You know what I would suggest? What's that? Taking a picture with your phone. <laughs> I can't believe you suggested that. Maybe, maybe I'll make an app for that. <laughs> you, uh, yeah. Maybe you Analog should hold bookmarks. off. For, so Analog think, bookmarks. Just think that, think that through a bit more. <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, but the whole point of that bookmark discussion, a little bit more about that than I thought we'd have to say, but there you go. Uh, honestly, it's not a problem with an e-reader. E-reader remembers where you were. That's it. You can drop it as much as you like. You, you know, it doesn't. There's, there's no problem with losing your place. So, you know, again, a win for the e-reader. One of the other things I just want to quickly talk about before we start talking about display technology, is resale of paperbacks. Now, I, I was, I was not going to mention this because I find it to be ridiculous. But have you ever sold? books that you've owned for money, like secondhand? Uh, no. No. See, no, I, if I buy it, I usually tend to keep it. Yeah. Now, I've given books away, but I've never sold them for money. And it got me thinking, there's, uh, when I was a kid, it was, it was much more popular then to go to the secondhand bookstore. And yeah. there were only a handful of secondhand bookstores but the thing that was wonderful about secondhand bookstores was that that was where you would go, not just to find cheap books that people didn't want anymore, that were 30, 40 years old in some cases, but you could strike gold for yeah. stuff that was yeah. out of print. It had been out of print for years that you just couldn't get anymore mm-hmm. in these secondhand bookstores. Yeah. And in well, I days- have no, no objection to buying them secondhand. A lot of my books were bought used. My grandmother taught me the joys of the used bookstore when I was young. 
Yeah. And the smell, you know, it's got a very unique smell compared to a brand new bookstore. You know, like a like a chapters or a Oh God, who's left? Is chapters still all around? Or are they gone? Uh I think they might be gone. Okay, so chapters are gone. Jeez, I missed a current events, aren't I? Um anyway, whatever. The point is that yeah, it's it's a very different smell. And the thing is though, secondhand bookstores are dying. And they're dying because there's no money in them and because people are just not, they're not selling the books. They're not giving the books to the secondhand bookstores. They're just, yeah. It's just not happening anymore. So, it's all, it's all dying, which, you know, there will always be a niche. There will always be places that have that. And there's a little bit of a trade going on in books in eBay, on, on eBay, sorry. But when the shipping of the book costs more than the book and you can get it cheaper, brand new, if it's still in print from Amazon... Why the hell would you? So, I don't buy the whole secondhand book resale of paperbacks argument as to why paperback books are better. Because you're yeah. far more likely to give it to a family member, which gets back to the trading thing we've already, t- I've already talked about. Uh-huh. Okay. So, next, we're going to talk about display technology. But before we do that, We'll talk quickly about our second sponsor, and that's uh, LifeX. Once again, LifeX sponsoring the show. Now, LifeX, spelled L-I-F-X, is a smart light bulb that gives you complete control of the color and intensity of your bulb over Wi-Fi. So, what does that mean? Well, you can set the LifeX to whatever color of the rainbow you like, as dim or as bright as you like, all controlled with your smartphone. With over a thousand lumens at your disposal, it's incredibly bright but only consumes 18 watts of power at maximum, though I found in most rooms you only need about half that power. Now, controlling the brightness and the color is really easy, and as a bonus, there's also a range of really cool effects like lava lamps, strobing, and candle flicker. The LifeX smart bulb is both energy efficient and is also made to last. It's rated for 27 years at four hours a day. That's the equivalent to 40,000 hours. Chances are you're gonna move house before you need to change the light bulb. Now. There are LifeX bulbs that support Edison screw, bayonet, and the new downlight bulb can be pre-ordered and supports GU10 as well. And all models will work at standard voltages all around the world between 100 and 240 volts AC. It has developer-friendly SDKs for iOS, Android, and Ruby, which means that if you can think of a great way to control them, you can go out and build it on whatever platform you like right now. Now, I've been testing some demo bulbs. My kids went crazy with some of the musical effects. And the microphone your smartphone hears the music and modulates the LifeX light and the light bulb in time with the music. And it's a very cool disco-like effect. Lots of fun. Now, LifeX bulbs are shipping today for only $99 US for a single bulb with free shipping to celebrate the launch of Apple Pay. That's right. They're taking full advantage of the latest Apple Pay technology. And you can now actually purchase LifeX bulbs directly inside the LifeX app on iOS. Now, if you buy in the four-pack, you'll also save 4% overall. And with the 10-pack, you save 8% overall on top of the Pragmatic discount code. Simply head on over to LifeX, spelled L-I-F-X dot co slash Pragmatic to learn more and enter the coupon code Pragmatic20 for 20% off the total price of your order. Thank you once again to LifeX for sponsoring Pragmatic. Display technology. Now, 
honestly, the winning display technology for e-readers is e-ink. Mm-hmm. And it actually uh, stands for uh, electrophoretic ink, which is a bit of a weird word. But anyway. And uh, it's also the name of the corporation that essentially, well, owns it. Now, the way it works is think of, or they call them micro capsules. Small spheres and inside each sphere, there's two kinds of particles. Positively charged particles of one color, usually white, and negatively charged particles, usually black. So each individual capsule is a pixel. So, as you know, with magnetism, like charges repel. Hence, it's possible by creating a small magnetic field directly under each of the capsules, you can flip the color of the capsule by flipping the field. Mm-hmm. And once it's flipped, it'll it's sort of stay it stays in position. And uh, that particular technology uh, is referred to as a bistable reflective display, meaning yeah, the bistable meaning it holds its state in in either state. Uh, even when power has been removed. And reflective means that, you know, it works just like the paper on a book, which is, you know, you read it, your eyes see it from light that reflects off of the surface. Uh-huh. And that also obviously saves on power. And it's yeah. less less annoying to look at because it's far more natural because it's how our eyes were designed to work. Now, uh, a lot of e-readers still require a complete sweep of every pixel when you change what's displayed, which is why you'll see all of the old Kindles and many other e-readers where you'll see the whole page go white, black, white, or black, white, black, or whatever, some alternation before the next page of text is displayed. Newer technology is coming out now or has been gradually over the last few years, more expensive, of course, uh, more complicated, where it only selectively updates a much, much smaller area of the screen such that on most books, you probably go 100 pages or so before you need to do a complete refresh of the screen. So, that's that's cool because I always found that annoying. But, you know, I sort of understand, you know, the reason why. So, the downside of having a essentially a reflective display means that uh, when low light, you can't read it. <laughs> Same problem with a book, though. So, from a comparative perspective, there's no advantage. Except, of course, that newer models of some e-readers, including Kindles like the Paperwhite, for example, they have mm-hmm. their own side lighting light source. Now, obviously, that's going to drain the battery. It's going to drain it a little bit more than the ones that don't have the light. And certainly, when the light's not on, you know, because it doesn't have to be on all the time. Yeah. Yeah, but still, it's going to be nothing at all like the drain from an LCD or LED screen. So, just really quickly, LCD and LED, I'm not going to go into a long, protracted discussion of the different kinds because there are a lot of different kinds. Uh, So, let's just keep it simple. So, LCD is a short for liquid crystal display where you've got multiple layers of slightly different colored uh, liquid crystals and uh, they they basically turn on and off when electrical currents pass through them. And... They are essentially semi-transparent such that if you shine light behind them, the light will transmit through them and then you will see that. LEDs, slightly different idea. Different colored LTL LEDs 
RGB all sort of clustered really tightly together, blend together to make a pixel through a lens usually. And they emit light, of course, light emitting diodes, LEDs. Either way, these are referred to as emissive displays, as in emission, as in emitting light, as opposed to a reflective display. And they are generally considered to be harder on your eyes. That's certainly been my experience. What do you think? They do. They are. Yeah. So ultimately, um, they, however, have several advantages. And the, the biggest advantages are, at least with current technology, they have a, they've got a head start on e-ink, though, let's be honest. And let's be fair. But at the moment, they have high resolution mm-hmm. and they have much, much, much higher refresh rates. So you can refresh, you know, 30, 60, 120 times a second depending upon the displays, you know. Color. And you get much better color depth. You can get color ink. It's not anything like color from an LED LCD, no way. But still, the point is that you will get much superior um, quality of what you are looking at from an LCD or an LED display over e-ink. No question, no doubt, no discussion, no debate. However... It kills your battery, absolutely slaughters your battery. So the last thing you want when you're reading a book is to lose power and then either be on an e-reader stuck on the page you're on or Mm -hmm. completely out of luck. So what do you do? Well, you go with e-ink and that's why e-readers with e-ink are generally the preferred option. Doesn't mean you can't read books and stuff on, on, on your iPads and on your you know, Motorola Zoom or whatever tablet you might have. You know, touchpad. Yeah, you can't you can't rule it out. But seriously, no. People prefer reading on e-readers for a reason. On e-ink screens for a reason. Okay. Now the last broad section that I've got to talk about is the touchy feely stuff. And I I feel weird putting this stuff in, but you know what? I have to have it. Although it's not usually a topic that I would cover the touchy-feely bit. But, you know, here we go. So, I think that there is an emotional momentum with paperback books. With paper reading from paper. And what I mean by that is that our brains get emotionally sort of confused a bit. (laughs) Based on not the content that you're reading, but the delivery medium of that content. You know, it's like the feel and the smell of books, your brain associates that usually with a really good book that we read once, Mm -hmm. you know? And then you'll pick up a book that's just average, you know? But you'll still prefer to read it as a book because it triggers the memories of the good book you did once, you read once long ago. Well, maybe not that long ago, but you know what I mean. And it's no different to hearing a song and it reminds you like you heard a song at someone's wedding or, you know, worse sometimes at a funeral and it brings back bad memories. The point is that, yeah, our brains associate, our senses trigger memory and emotion. So, people say, oh, books are always going to be better. I guarantee you that if you were to bring up uh, a child in a world with no books and only e-readers, and then introduced books, they would look at books and feel the same way. 
and they'd say, well, I, 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 you know, how can you hold that thing? It's, it's heavy. It smells funny. Yeah. You know, I don't get it. So the argument that, you know, it won't hold itself open to the same spot. Yeah, that's right. I mean, geez, this stupid bookmark thing keeps, I, I know what I'll do. I'll just fold the, fold the, the top down. Vic won't mind. Okay. So I'm going to bring that up again, uh-huh. you know, now that I know this. <laughs> Oh, I mean, okay. The experience of walking into a bookstore. We sort of talked about this, but a little bit about the smell, the feeling of it. But going through into a bookstore, it's similar in a library, flipping through the titles and the books that they've got, enjoying the usually, quote unquote, usually quiet atmosphere. That's kind of completely non-existent with an e-book. You just go tappity-doo-dah, zippity-day, and you've got yourself your book. Well, you hope anyway, if you've got money and credit card. So, yeah, that's a very different experience you can never replicate. Question is, is that an experience that is really going to be saved for the masses? Is it worth saving? Do enough people value it? And I don't think they do. It's sort of a reality that we've become accustomed to. It certainly isn't more convenient and it's something that we've become used to, not, not, not because, because we had no choice, we had no option, rather than we demand a bookstore because bookstores are just the best. Yeah. No, we went to the bookstore because we wanted a book. Anyway. All right. The piece of paper is always going to feel... Oh, I've got to watch saying that. With current materials and current <laughs> technologies, the feeling of a book is nicer and more pleasant to the touch, I think, than something made out of metal, plastic, rubber, any of the common materials that are currently used to make e-readers and tablets. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. So, I honestly think that that is one of the areas where, again, it's touchy-feely, right? <laughs> Feely, literally. Because, you know, how do you quantify that? And maybe someday in future, which is why I corrected myself, maybe they'll invent something that feels just like paper and it'll be, here, pick up this iPad and the back feels like paper and you close your eyes. Here, here do the feel test. Do the, do the blind feel test. And that gets actually really creepy very quickly. But anyway, um, right. I think I'll move on. Remotely reading to your child. I'm I'm going out west again for a few days next week, for four days next week. And I'm faced with the problem of, you know, reading books to my, my kids, my youngest kids anyway. And you can't do that with a paper book. Not without adding another technology to sit over your sh- over their shoulder, which is you know probably going to be a, an iPad or something or a phone, or iPhone, you know whatever Android phone whatever. But here's the thing: if you're always going to if you're going to introduce another technology to read to your child, then why aren't you just doing it on an iPad? Because they they uh, I, I was I thought it was brilliant actually at the the latest event uh, Apple event just uh, recently with the iPads they uh, they showed Caribou at C A R I B U. Mm-hmm app, link in the show notes. They demoed that in the Apple event. Now, that is a cool app. They're not a sponsor, but it's a cool app. 
and it allows you to do remotely read with your child. That, you know, yeah, through that's iPads. pretty cool. That's brilliant. So if I'm 400 miles away, and I will be next week for four days. You can read them a good then story. You got it. That's magic. You know, that's brilliant. Try doing that with a paperback. Good luck. Although, admittedly, if it was a kid, I wouldn't be giving them Game of Thrones to read. But still. No. <laughs> no. No. Definitely not. It's, I, I, I skipped to the Red Wedding. Okay. Now then. Uh, last one. Oh, no. Two more things. And I think we'll, then, I'm, then I've, I'm done my notes. And that is moving my books around. Oh, my God. So, I've got myself 100 books, 200 books, whatever. I used to have 100 plus books. What do I do? I need to put them somewhere in a bookcase and a bookshelf. Now, that could be an entire room for some people. And honestly, that's a lot yeah. of space. You've got to move it around when you move. You know, are you really going to read those books again? I might want to read them one day, so I've got to keep yeah. it. Well, that's what happens. That's how it happens. You are a book hoarder. That's what you are. And, you know... That maybe that's okay. Some people are proud of that, and that's fine. You want to collect books? That's fantastic. Some people have their own library in their own house. Like it's a study, but it's better be be more accurately referred to as a library. Mm-hmm. You know, walls lined with bookcases, and the best part is I can fit every single one of them into a single e reader. So, honestly. Do you really need to deal with that? Ultimately, finally, I think that there will always be bookstores. I think that you will always have paperback books. I I cannot foresee a time where they will completely disappear. I do think that it will be for hard-to-find books, niche books, limited-run books, rare-edition books, things like that. You know? That's what it will be. But they will be a token. You know how they do golden records, you know, platinum records? They don't make records much anymore. They don't make vinyl much anymore. They really don't. You know, it'll become a token thing. Here, I've got this book. It's sold a million copies. Here's a paperback or a hardcover, probably more likely a hardcover book. You know, maybe an author signs it. Here you go, author signed the inside of the cover. There you go, that's a prize or something. And people will get it and they'll put it on a bookshelf and they'll never read it because they've got a copy in their e-reader. But they've got it because it's, got, it's, it's, it's a special collector's thing. There will always be specialty bookstores, I think, for people that are truly enthusiasts. But honestly, realistically, e-readers are ultimately going to win and books are going to die, not completely, but they're going to fade significantly. And I just think that's inevitable. I, I think so. I, what do I you think? think? <clears throat> yeah. Did you have anything that you think uh, that you think I missed? No. You always. Start. I I I think that I would add that. One thing that, that comes up a lot when I have this discussion with people about ebooks versus real books 
a lot of people are, are really worried about the, the future of the library as an institution and a place to go. And I don't think people need to, to panic that that's going to go away as, as the paper book declines in favor of e-readers. I think the library will change, but I, I think it fulfills a community service that's always going to be valid and it's always going to exist. I think the librarian's job will change. But I think that that's still going to need to, that place and that institution and that service is always going to need to exist. Yeah, I tend, to, I tend to agree up to a point. I think that once everything becomes so cheap, I mean, if, you, if it costs 10 bucks for you mm-hmm. to go and buy a Kindle. Yeah. But these are library Kindles, shall we say? Local uh-huh. government Kindles, whatever. So, just like you pay your rates every year for them to pick up your garbage and, you, you know, deal with, treat your sewage and give you fresh running water and all that yeah. stuff. Do they call them rates over there? Uh, well, Would it's you... just a service fee. Service fee. Okay. All that was... Hit. When I used to rent over there, so it was all hidden in the rental costs. So, I didn't yeah. actually know what it was called. Anyway. So, the point is... What... It, would it not be the direction for the government to hand out government-issued ones and you would be entitled to one every few years as part of your service fees and you could then download things from a catalogue in the library over the e-reader. Um, I'm not sure that analogy holds up 100%, but I, I think that the, the point that you're making could be valid. Like... um. A lot of places like the city, the government's not responsible for the garbage and stuff here. So I don't know that they'd all be lumped together. But okay, and I, I the the point that you're making, I think, would be valid, and and that that it could shift over to an area of that kind of responsibility. But uh, I tend to think of the library it's, it's a it's a social place. It's a source of information place. It's already evolved in a lot of ways over the years. I mean, you go now and. You can check out CDs and you can check out DVDs and all kinds of things. And I think it's just always going to evolve. But I think that the, the social need and the community need and the, the source for information, I think that those reasons will always keep libraries open. Well, I will admit that they probably won't need as much staff as they need. And yeah, they may definitely. not need as big a physical location. I think what you're going to... F- I think what will happen is... The smaller libraries will shut down and everything will become concentrated into the city centres, like the really big city centres. And what, what, what our local government currently does is there's a large public library in Caboolture mm-hmm. and there's a mobile library, which is essentially a semi-trailer, or semi-trailer, that drives around and it's full of books, oddly. Mm-hmm. and it will spend one day a week at a smaller township. So, at just up the road at Beerburrum, for example. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the next day at Glasshouse Mountains and then the next day at BOR and, and so on and so forth. And then that way, locals will who who can't drive, won't drive, are still sort of access to library, um, to library function you know, like borrowing books and so on, mm-hmm. different other services that go around with the van with with the trail with the truck. 
but at the same time, they don't aren't big enough to warrant their own library. And I think that that sort of contraction and that methodology will continue to the point at which the Caboolture Public Library eventually will close and it'll just become one library in Brisbane and eventually it'll become one library in the state capital, which, you know, in, in the case of Queensland happens to be Brisbane, but, you know, I think a lot of regional libraries as a fixed location will shut down and they'll simply become mobile libraries to go from area to area. Inevitably, it's going to be cheaper to blanket a city with not Wi-Fi, but perhaps a successor to Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. low bandwidth, low cost that any e-reader can access to provide basic internet service. I think in that, that's that it's already starting to happen with Wi-Fi, you know? Yeah. But the problem with Wi-Fi is range, and the range is difficult. You need to look at a different, te- slightly different technology. But anyway, I think that that's where it's going to go because, you know, you look in 20, 30, 40 years' time, it's going to be unheard of, I think, that you don't have access to the internet. It's just, it's going to be available. If you want access, you simply go to, you know, the main library or whatever, or you or you write to them or whatever, maybe not call them, whatever. I don't know. But, and they'll, they'll send you a very basic tablet e-reader device that you can, you know, that you can use as part of your, your rates, as part of your taxes. Because I tell you what, think about how much money that would save the government. You could, you would streamline the number of people you'd need to have as yeah. front-facing individuals. You could shut down all these different offices. I'm not saying that I like that idea necessarily. Yeah. But look at the trends, look at where it's going, and think how governments think. Yeah. Unless you're Sir Humphrey Appleby, in which case, don't think like that. But, you know, you know who I mean when I say Sir Humphrey Appleby? I do not. Oh, really? Sorry. Um, there's a very... I was going to say popular, but perhaps not popular in your neck of the woods, but um, a show by the BBC in the 70s called Yes Minister was followed up by another series called Yes Prime Minister. Okay. And they were shows about British politics, particularly gotcha. following James Hacker as he worked his way up from um, is it the lower bench or whatever it was and eventually became was made Prime Minister mainly because he was considered to be a bit dim-witted and they were able to get things past him. It was meant to be satirical, but the thing the thing is that it, it hit home on so many counts about politics, it wasn't funny. Yeah. So, it was a really, really good show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so, Humphrey Appleby was the uh, head of the civil service. Well, he wasn't. And he was, yeah, anyway, so, the consummate, consummate um, public servant. Absolutely, unbelievably amazing. It was played by um, Sir Nigel Hawthorne, who... Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you know who he is? I do. Cool. Well, that's something. You should check it out. It's a good I, show. I it hasn't do. dated. It hasn't dated. It really hasn't. I mean, okay, the vehicles and you know some of the some of the clothes, the you know the suits the men wear, are, you know suits are suits are suits. But you know, generally yeah. speaking, I would imagine that not- the drama and the story holds up though. Oh yeah, it's not drama. It's comedy, but it's it's he's so good. Anyway. Alrighty. Well, um, if do you have anything else that you wanted to add, or will we wrap it up? I think we're good. If you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chidgy and check out my writing at TechDistortion.com. If you'd like to get in touch with Vic, he can be reached on Twitter at VicHudson1. If you'd like to send any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website. That's where you'll also find the show notes of the episode under Podcasts Pragmatic. 
If there are any topics that you would like me to cover, you can suggest and vote on them at techdistortion.com slash topics once you sign up for a free account at the site. You can follow Pragmatic Show on Twitter to see show announcements and other related stuff like when we're broadcasting live if you want to join in and we certainly hope you do. I'd like to say a final thank you to our two sponsors for this episode. Uh, Firstly, LifeX. If you're looking for an awesome LED bulb that's remotely controllable, colorful, energy efficient and really fun to use, remember, specifically visit this URL, LifeX, spelled L-I-F-X dot co slash pragmatic and use the coupon code pragmatic20 for 20% off the total price of your order. I'd also like to thank Manytrix for once again sponsoring Pragmatic. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, remember, specifically visit this URL, manytricks, or one word, dot com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps and use the discount code pragmatic25. That's pragmatic the word and 25 the numbers for 25% off the total price of your order. Hurry, it is only for a limited time. Thank you, everybody, who joined us in the live chat room today. And uh, as always, thank you, Vic. Color e-ink, is it difficult to do or is the demand non-existent? I think that at the moment, it's a quality cost trade-off that's not panning out for most people. So, it costs a lot more to implement it and that cost for the quality of the color depth that you get, if you put that up against an LED or an LCD, you're just going to shake your head and say that's a joke. Yeah. You know, and until the technology improves and becomes cheaper, I just don't think you're going to see it. They'll go to higher DPI in black and white as they are actually, come to think of it, before they go to, you know, before color becomes more widely adopted. Yeah. I think there'll be plenty of demand. Once it is economical and efficient, though, I think there'll be plenty of demand for it. Oh, sure, absolutely. But, you know, you also have to consider the, the fact that most ebooks have been written with the, in mind that black and white and yeah. is all you've got to deal with. So, going to colour is going to give you precious few titles where that's going to be of any advantage whatsoever. So, I think that it's a... The technology will improve. It'll become more desirable. More ebooks will support colour. And at that point in time, it'll become, you know, more the thing.
But I'm still not I'm still not sold on e-ink as a long-term viable technology. I honestly think that there has to be something else. I mean, Mirasol would look promising, but you know, honestly, it's just not being widely adopted. And honestly, I'm not sure why. That's an interesting question. I wish I had a better idea, but I don't uh, about that particular kind of display. But uh, hopefully that answers the question.